Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. Got legal questions? She's got the answers. It's time for Lisa on the Law, now on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back. We're talking Lisa on the law. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what's happening in the Aretha Franklin will contest case because I thought it would be just a great opportunity to explain how it would have happened differently had it happened in Connecticut. But let's go to you first. We've got Lori calling. Hi, Lori. Where are you from? Oh, hi, Lisa. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead, I Lori. really needed help. I know nothing about class action lawsuits, so I was hoping you could enlighten me about how they work, um, because I had a problem with my Santa Fe, like all of them that have been either tried to scale or uh, damaged, and car problems that were the fault of Hyundai. I know um, in California, when I Googled it, there was one in California, a, a class action lawsuit, but they're not answering their phones. I don't know if they're inundated. You know, you do a mail-in from the website explaining your story, but I haven't heard from them. And I just don't know how to go about um, being a participant in one. Okay. So there's, I just want to explain, let me just back up a little bit because most people really don't even understand what class action is. So when you have something wrong with your car, uh, typically, or when you have something wrong with anything, you, you have an option, and that is you can sue the car manufacturer yourself and say that this car has a default. It's under the Lemon Law of the state of Connecticut or consumer protection, and uh, you, could, you could try and sue the car company to get your car back. That would be one person. We all know how difficult it is for one human being to go up against a big company. They can bury you with litigation, discovery, et cetera. So for most people, it's not worth it, and they have to walk away with a tail between their legs, even if the damages are $1,000, $5,000, or $10,000. Class action suits, the idea of a class action was that every person who fits into the category of having bought that car, make, or model, theoretically 
would have more or less within the same amount of damages. So maybe some people need a brand new car and other people need a new transition, uh, transmission. But the point is that everybody has to have the same basic interest in what went wrong. So, Lori, so to answer your question, assuming you're not going to sue Hyundai for what happened with your Santa Fe. And by the way, I'm very interested in knowing because we just bought a Santa Fe last week. We just bought one. We bought a Santa Fe hybrid. You'll be okay with the new models. This was, these are older models that had these flaws. Okay. I hope you're right. Who the heck knows? But I I think you're fine. You're fine. You'll, You'll be fine. So here's the thing about class action. In order for something to be a class action, a law firm has to go in front of a judge and ask for permission to file a class action lawsuit. They literally have to be certified to be a class action lawsuit. And that's a pretty high barrier, Lori. Not everybody can just go in and say, I want to represent all the people that got injured by the Hyundai Santa Fe. I have, I have to show a judge that I have enough people in this class that the injury is very real, that there's a causational factor between what I say is wrong and the damages, and that there are thousands of people potentially affected by this, so that as a matter of judicial efficiency, it makes much more sense to file one suit here one time in court than it would to have thousands of individual lawsuits clog up the judicial calendar, right? So that's the point of a class action. Okay. Now, you're asking me very directly, how do you become part of the class? The actual answer to that is that the obligation is not on you. The obligation is on the lawsuit, the litigants, to find you. Um, And and usually, you will get something in the mail that says, we know that you bought this Santa Fe model and make, and you have within 30, 60, 90 days to fill out this piece of paper and put a stamp on it and put it back in the mail to tell us whether or not you want to participate in the class action lawsuit. Sometimes, sometimes they won't contact you until after they have their settlement. They know how much money they have. And then they will contact you and say, we know our records show that you bought this Santa Fe hybrid and you have to, Respond to this mail within 90 days to collect your money. Right. So if I bought it on Carvana, which I did, does mm-hmm. that matter who who no. buys it? They no. will look into this too? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did you, and did you buy this as a new car? No. You bought it as a used car? Yes. So you bought it in the chain of title from somebody else who had it new. I'm not uh, yeah. sh- Okay. Since you bought it used, my question would be, does, is there a very strong record of the transaction for used cars? You see what I mean? How would they find you? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting, too. I didn't know if it would be initiated by Carvana, people who sell cars. I didn't might know be. who initiate. It might be. Yeah. Have you been able to call Carvana and ask them? No, this is the uh, first time finding out from you what to, what to do. Yeah, yeah, I will. So the first thing that I would do, 
is I would call Carvana where you bought the car and make okay. sure from them, ask them, is there a place where you have registered that I am the new owner of this car such that Hyundai knows that I now have this car? Hmm. Well, on Hyundai, do they have an obligation? Because I've been there for service. I needed a new motor. Well, they may have they brakes. may have an obligation, but it all depends on what the settlement is. Like you have to go into the specifics of the settlement. So, for example, I see here. Okay, I'm looking at a website now, Linda, and it says Hyundai Kia settlement involving 2.1 million vehicles with defective engines gets initial approval. And that is in something called Auto News. And it's dated February 13, 2023. So it's pretty, pretty new. And it says a California federal judge approved a class action settlement. So in other words, they've already approved the money. And, right. um, that. and Josephine Staten granted the motion. It calls for an extended warranty for free inspections and necessary repairs for 15 years or 150,000 miles. And it's a bunch of things it calls for. Now, do you have an... And this is for, when did you buy your Hyundai car? Like, what, what make and model is it? It's the Santa Fe. It's mm-hmm. a, the year is a 2016. Okay, so and, you're right in uh, there. You're right in there. Yeah, so, yeah, I checked okay. all that, yes. So let me just see here what you would do. Hold on a minute. Okay, you're definitely in the right range. And I just want to see here. And it was a big settlement. It was close to a billion dollars. Big, big money. Uh, And the class action lawsuit was Leslie Flaherty versus Hyundai Motor Company. And I have all the details here. Why don't we do this? I have your email and I will copy and paste you on this so you can see the specific article. But the bottom line is that they are supposed to find you. That's the bottom line. And, 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 and And since you have not been found yet. And since in the chain of title, you did not buy it new. I would write an email to the lawyer who settled the case. And that's going to be in what you send me. That's going to be in what I sent you because there's a link to the lawsuit. And when you go on the lawsuit, you're going to be able to see. I'll try and find it offline for you anyway. I'll try and find out who the lawyer is. But that's what you need to do. You need to, and okay. you, what you should do is you should take a photo of your registration and insurance and attach it to the email so they know that you're the owner of the car. Oh, okay. Okay. And All I you need to my, be is I an think... owner. You don't need to have bought uh-huh. it new. You just need to be an owner. But my concern is how they find you. Right, right. Yeah, and Hyundai and Hyundai in Fairfield is the one who did the work on my car, and that's where it was vandalized to be stolen, and I needed a new motor. So they know me. I've complained of an electrical breakdown. I was at the Milford Hyundai dealer. They've worked on my car, so those dealerships know me. Just well, those FYI. dealerships should know about this class action, and they should honor the terms. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I have a lot of trust in them. I can't help that. But um, my car, they didn't even do the police report, uh, call the police about my car being vandalized on their lot. I'm the one who pursued that. I think it was that's on strange. their lot. 
It was on their lot? With no cameras or lights. A number of cars were, were vandalized. No cameras or lights. And this has been going on for 11 months. My claim adjuster's going was going nuts. He was seeing this left and right. And they didn't protect their parking lot. That's really weird. It certainly is. Even the policeman uh, walked around to see if he can find cameras because there's other little businesses around there. There's nothing on their lot. And that's in Fairfield on Commerce Drive. It's really something. Their own cars were vandalized on their own lot in a dealership. Wow. Yeah. And he didn't even uh, tell the police about my car. Isn't it weird? It's strange. But anyway, thank you so much for your help. It begs, let me put it this way. It raises more questions than it answers, doesn't it? Yes. Hmm. Yes, it does. But anyway, Lori, just an answer to your question, generally speaking, for those of us who are thinking about class actions, class actions aren't only with respect to cars. They're very often with respect to financial securities, which we may have owned in a stock portfolio or whatever, or you may have purchased a piece of electronics. That happens a lot, too. And you just get these notices in the mail and these envelopes that look like junk mail, but they're not. And when you open them, they're tremendously tiny, tiny fine print. Like you need your reading glasses to see what they're saying. But usually there's a deadline and they want you to mail back an envelope or a postcard and speak up and say, yes, I'm a member of this class. And when you settle the case, I want my share. And sometimes you get a check for 20 bucks. Sometimes you can get a check for 2000 But you will mm-hmm. get notice in the mail if you're a member of a class. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm going to look into Carvana um, also yeah. to see if they have any records just, of me. That's where I phone. would start, absolutely. Yeah. And then I want you to yeah. contact the law firm that settled the, settled the case and let them know who you are and send them a photo of the, you know, the ownership that you are, in fact, an owner of the car. Okay. Okay? Thank and you And then so follow much. up with me. Let me know how it goes. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for the call. I will. Okay. Okay, Bye-bye. All right, we'll be right back with part two of Lisa on the Law. We'll get into Aretha Franklin's Will contest in just a moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler show. Okay, so I saw something today that I thought was really interesting, which was that Aretha Franklin, we all know Aretha Franklin, the great Aretha Franklin, she passed away with an estate estimated about $18 million, which is not jump change. And she passed away with four children. And uh, there is a huge will contest that is going in front of a six-person jury in Michigan today. 
And I just want to tell you something. Uh, if we have will contests in Connecticut, they never go in front of a jury. I looked at this in my eyes. My eyebrows really raised because I just want to make sure I was right about this. So in Connecticut, so what's happening in Aretha Franklin's case is very simple, um, but really not. Uh, nobody can decide whether or not she left a legal will. Apparently, in the couple of years before she died, she went to consult a lawyer. The lawyer testified she didn't sign anything. The lawyer testified that he wasn't sure that she really knew what she wanted her estate plan to be. Uh, and so the judge decided, Judge Callahan, a woman judge, that what she was going to allow the jury to decide, and today the trial begins, is whether or not to admit either a writing that happened in 2014 or a writing that happened in 2010. The writing that happened in 2014 is based on a spiral notebook that was found under her bed in which she said she wanted to leave her money to certain sons in certain proportions and she had smiley faces at the end of some of her sentences. In, in 2010, she left a writing that appears to be more consequential, that looks like it was witnessed and notarized, and left a different proportion of her money. Now, um, but because she wrote a subsequent writing in 2014, the sons are fighting among themselves. One son has a legal guardian. His name is Clarence, so his guardian is fighting on his behalf. But, and apparently he settled out of court for a share of the estate. So it's really three sons that are now fighting out of the four. But uh, just to give you an idea of what goes on, how different it is in Connecticut. In Connecticut, a will contest would be held in front of a probate judge. We have 54 probate judges in Connecticut. And we have no um, juries in probate court system. It's just your judge, no juries. And so the judge would decide whether or not any of these writings were admissible. Now, I have to tell you, if a judge heard testimony that her most recent lawyer had not yet decided on her state plan, that would indicate a couple of things to me. Number one, it would indicate that for whatever reason she revoked her prior writings because she went back to a lawyer. But number two, one could not with any certainty decide that she had in fact made a will. And therefore, it would seem to me, what do I know, that one could say that she should have been deemed as if she died in test state, which means all four sons would get 25% of the will, of the estate. And that's it. They each get a quarter share, which in most cases is the way a will would go anyway from parents to children. Not in all, but in many. But this judge decided, despite the testimony from the lawyer, this judge is going to put this in front of a jury. So in Connecticut, what happens is if you appeal a probate judge, so let's say a probate judge decides that the 2014 writing with the smiley face is equivalent to what we would say is a will. I'm going to tell you why it isn't in a moment. But let's say a judge decided it was. If you were a party that was unhappy about a probate judge's decision, in Connecticut you have 30 days to appeal, and the appeal goes directly to Superior Court, where it is a, quote, de novo proceeding, which means it starts all over. And the judge who sits as a Superior Court judge sits with all the powers of a probate judge, which means, once again, there's no jury. So there's no jury ever in Connecticut that would get to decide 
as to whether or not a smiley face on a spiral notebook writing would constitute a will. And in fact, in Connecticut, just in case you wanted to know, wills are creatures of statute. We are not a state that allows people to handwrite what they want to have happened and or type it up, frankly, and admit it as a will unless it is properly witnessed. It does not have to be notarized. It has to be witnessed by two people, preferably two people who are not inheriting anything from the person who died. If they are inheriting, if one of the witnesses to the will is also somebody who gets to inherit and they are not otherwise an immediate family member, then their inheritance goes away. So, for example, I once had a case in court where a woman was a lawyer, but she didn't do this kind of law and she didn't know better. And she thought she was doing a favor for her friend. And so, and her friend liked her a lot. So her friend left her some money in the will. But she was one of the only two witnesses to the will. She was not allowed to inherit that money by law. She was disqualified because that's what the law of the state of Connecticut says. You can't, it's presumed to be a conflict of interest if you're a stranger, which is to say not an immediate family member, to somebody's witnessing of their will if you're inheriting. The law doesn't like it and it's disallowed and you're not allowed to get the money. And so that's what happened in that case. She wasn't allowed to get her bequest, but the will was admitted. In Connecticut, wills are very much strictly um, creatures of statute. Unless they are unless they are done within the four corners of what our statute allows, you're held to be what we call intestate. The will is thrown out, and the person will have, is considered to have died without a will, which means that their money goes to their next of kin. A spouse and then the children. If they're married to the spouse that is the parent of the children, then the spouse gets the first 100000 and 50% of the remainder. If it's a second wife syndrome and the children are from a first marriage, then it's split 50 to the spouse and the other 50% to be divided among the children. And that's according to our laws of the state of Connecticut. So I'm watching what's happening now in Aretha Franklin land. And a few things occur to me. Number one, as I told you, there would never be a jury trial. I mean, it's just astonishing to me. Number two, anything that wasn't witnessed, which clearly the spiral notebook wasn't, would not qualify to even be in front of a judge, not to mention a jury. It just would not be a will. It's not admissible. I mean, I've had lots of cases as a Westport probate judge where people have brought me writings one of them was on a, a, a piece of scribbled notepaper that was found in a kitchen cabinet and said who he wanted to leave his house and property to. It wasn't witnessed. It was not a will. And it was as if the man died without a will. End of story, intestate. There was no other will or writing to be found. So, and that's just very clear black letter law. That's just the way it is. What's interesting about the 2014 writing that they have to evaluate in Aretha Franklin's case is that apparently she crossed out stuff and then scribbled other stuff on top and underneath it. So in other words, if the jury likes the 2014 writing and wants to admit it under Michigan law, it also has to make a decision as to which provision counts, the one that she crossed out or the new one that she put in. Now, you may think, well, that's easy. 
Lisa. Obviously, the what the thing that she crossed out. Obviously, the thing that she crossed out shouldn't count. It should be the new thing she wrote. You want to know what the law is in Connecticut? Listen to this case I had. I'll tell you this case. I had a case. This is all public, by the way. Everything with wills and trusts is all public. I'm not telling you anything private or confidential. We had a case in our court where a man passed away and his will was found. It was properly witnessed and everything else. The self-proving affidavit was notarized. But he had made crossouts in the will. And he had taken a pen and he had put his line through certain charitable bequests. Let's say he wanted to leave to United Way. I'm making this up. And he crossed it out and he wanted to leave it to save the children. In other words, he crossed out things. He crossed out things to certain cousins and nieces. He crossed them out. He put other people in. So I had to look up the law. What is the law in that case? If I'm admitting the will, what do I do with these crossouts? You know what the law in Connecticut is? You're going to be shocked. You know what it is? The law in Connecticut is, this is case law, not statute, that if you can read what was originally crossed out, then what was original is what counts. And if you can't read it, if he really blacked it out, then the new doesn't count, but it's as if the entire thing lapses. It's as if it wasn't there to begin with. And the reason for that, you ready? This is what the judge said. Is because the will could have been tampered with by somebody else who saw the will. So we don't want to throw out the whole will, which names the executor and has a bunch of other things and powers. We don't want to do that. So in order to make sure that we are at least doing what we know the testator wanted to have happen at a certain time, if we can read what he originally wanted, that's what counts. And if we can't read it, then it's too bad and the entire bequest lapses as if it never was. And that's what they thought the fairest result was. And I had that case, so I know the law. So in the case of Aretha Franklin, I don't know what the law is in Michigan, But if it's like in Connecticut, if they can read it, then the original thing is the one that's supposed to carry. But who knows if a smiley face is a signature in Michigan? I certainly don't. Anyway, that's an interesting case to follow. I gave you a little bit of a primer on wills in Connecticut and what is and isn't admissible. We love Lisa on the law. Feel free to participate in it next week at 11.30, and you can do so easily by sending me a quick question during the week via WICC600.com or at least at LisaWexler.com. So let's see who's on our show tomorrow. I think it's a quiet show tomorrow. It's summertime, right? It's summertime and the living is easy. I'm going to be in the Cape next week. I'm going to do the show from the Cape. I'm going all over the place. Oh, yes, Susan Bysowitz is coming on tomorrow. That's nice. I don't see her. That's beautiful. Uh, that'll be wonderful. So we'll have Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz on. She, she's always happy to answer your questions. And I'm getting a bunch of writings from people who want to hear the podcast with uh, this morning's uh, majority leader of the Stanford Board of Reps. And we will put that on very quickly. It should be available by 1, 2 o'clock this afternoon. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to thank you for joining us. Don't forget, it's Paul Paselli from 2 to 6. Every afternoon here on Connecticut Today, Eric Erickson right after me. 
Melissa in the morning from 5 a.m. to 10. And we'll be back behind the mic tomorrow. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 